This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome to a Friday here on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And just about ready to roll into Super Bowl weekend. And we got a lot to get to. Obviously, the NFL honors were last night. The Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2024 was announced. That's right. And, uh, yeah, a lot of ground to cover. We had some uh, Bills players nominated for stuff. Josh Allen, most notably, was a finalist for NFL MVP. Uh, He was the only player other than Lamar Jackson, to garner a first-place vote. Lamar took 49 of the 50 first-place mm-hmm. votes for NFL MVP. Josh Allen was the only one to get the other one, and we came to learn later it was Aaron Schatz, uh, formerly of Football Outsiders and now for FTN Network, uh, was the lone person who voted with a first-place vote for Josh Allen, then voted Dak Prescott for his second-place vote before voting for Lamar third. Um, so Josh, because of that, finished a distant fifth in the voting. And I mean, you can, you can say whatever you want, uh, make whatever argument you want here. Here's my take on the MVP voting and how it seems to go each and every year. Um, some people, believe that Josh finishing fifth is a complete joke. I would put myself in that category. But we have to ask ourselves, why did that happen? Some people say it's because of the common narrative that he has too many turnovers. And I would imagine that that was a factor in the way some of these people voted. But think about when Jackson, Steve, was already being touted as the MVP frontrunner. Where were the Bills at that time? They were 6-6. Six and six. Right. At that point, even though I thought it was possible for the Bills to go on a run and get in the playoffs, I knew Allen had no shot at MVP. It's too hard for people, especially voters, to argue for a guy for MVP when his team is 6-6 six and six, or was 6-6. Six and six. Right. Can a quarterback on a six-loss team be MVP? I don't think enough voters feel, feel comfortable saying he can't. And for me, that's where the story ends and why the voting went the way it did. Because the Ravens were sailing to their division title. They may have already clinched by the time he was a MVP favorite. Right. And, you know, they had locked up the division. They were, you know, they were careening towards the number one seed in the AFC. And I realize these votes don't get entered until the end of the regular season. But still in all, the trajectory of their season and him playing well and being a big part of that, it puts you on a path to win MVP every single year. I mean, I'll bet if you go back and look, the teams that had a strong record heading into the month of December, their quarterbacks, as long as they were playing well and were productive, were the favorites for NFL MVP. Yeah, it's getting – I think the recency bias is really showing through in all of these, um, in all of these categories. Um, you know, who's, who's playing well right at the end or, or like you said, um, and, and I get it both. And you can, I mean, listen, Lamar is a great player and we, you know, yeah, can't have any problem with Lamar winning it. All five of those guys had sensational years, Josh included McCaffrey, Dak, the, all of them. Um, it's hard to not, you know, be happy with any of those guys. 
But with a quarterback, and I think sometimes the MVP voters kind of treat it like it's a little bit of the Heisman Trophy kind of thing. Mm. It used to be the best player on the best team wins the Heisman. The best player on the national championship team wins the Heisman. And it's kind of that way in the MVP. Even though that voting happens before the national right. title's decided. Right. And it's also um, and it's also in the it's a regular season award for the pros too in the NFL. Uh, this voting's done before the playoffs start. So it's the you know Baltimore was the number one seed for a, the entire season, just about if maybe they I don't know, maybe they dropped out early in the year for a week or two, but they were the odds-on favorite all the way through the regular season, and and Lamar was their quarterback. So I don't have a problem with any of it, I, and I get it. There's no question in my mind. If you lined them up blind, you're picking Josh. Well, um, to be your quarterback. To further to further my argument on this, on how the trajectory of your team's season largely impacts how people vote and whether they vote for you or not. Think about the time when Josh came closest to winning the MVP. It was in the 2020 season, and he lost out to Aaron Rodgers, finished second in the voting. How was Buffalo's season going that year? Yeah, They, they went 13-4. and four. Right. That's the closest he came to winning MVP because his team was on a huge ascent and trajectory second in the voting, only because he, the other guy had won one before. That was Josh's first breakout season. Probably there were some people saying, well, maybe this is just a fluke. Well, here's the Aaron had him in touch, had more touchdowns. Yeah. You know, and they went 13 and four also. Yeah. So it was, it was, you know, flip a coin for those two guys. And, and you can, but that's my point. Like you can go back and dissect a lot of, uh, MVP races and, uh, and all of that stuff and say, yeah. And, you know, Josh's, Josh's stats, his numbers are going to stand up against anybody's. Yeah. Um, I mean, he just, he played that well. Um, the rushing touchdowns were an enormous part of his game. Um, you know, his rushing yards, and in fact, Lamar had, I think, more rushing yards than Josh did, and that's probably about the only place he got him. And then Josh, you know, the turnovers. And, and like you said, the turnovers are an easy crutch for people to look at and say, well, okay, he's not good enough. Yeah. And Bill's fans are saying, I don't know. There's a small so. part of me that wonders if this was a factor. Because you talk about, you know, what's the lasting thought in somebody's mind before they vote, this, that, and the other. Late in the season, week 15, Bills host Dallas Cowboys on national television, and they wipe the floor with them 31-10, to 10, mm-hmm. and James Cook carries the offense on national television. Mm-hmm. If anybody was even on the fence between Lamar and Josh, they watch that game and they say, how's Josh an MVP? This Cook kid's pretty good. He doesn't have to right. do everything. Right. I wonder if, you know, people – it's a nationally televised game. Everybody in the country sees it. Yeah, I wonder if that worked that. against him a little bit. There might be some of that. But you know, I, I, I just think um, – yeah, I don't know. I don't know what people think. I realize I really, it's, we're talking about a subjective thing anyway, so right. there's going to be flaws in it. You're going to have your own way of looking at things. Every voter is, and I don't have a problem. I, I, I don't listen, have a problem with Lamar. He had a nice Lamar's season. A, Lamar's a Every, really good player, yeah. great player. Deserving for a long time. Yeah, deserving. I mean, I don't hate it, but I I just felt, and I felt this way for a long time. It it largely has to do with the trajectory of your team's season and how it's going heading into December. And I think that largely shapes 
people's preferences and leanings when it comes to who's getting my first place vote, who's getting my second place vote, who's getting my third place vote. The bigger robbery last night was for NFL Comeback Player of the Year. DeMar Hamlin had the most first place votes, but he only had a total of 28 first and second place votes, while Joe Flacco had 39 first and second place votes, which helped him score 11 points higher than Hamlin in the voting. So a man who, you know, whose biggest accomplishment in the 2023 season was coming back from his couch uh, to lead the Browns to the playoffs was somehow deemed a bigger comeback than DeMar Hamlin literally coming back from the brink of death to not only live, but to resume his professional football career. Now, you can slice this with a knife, a dull spoon, a bow and arrow. I don't care what piece of equipment you got. You can't slice this awards voting and tell me it makes sense because it doesn't. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's uh, I, I'm totally with you. Um, and I, the, the humorous thing about this, well, you read it to me. It was off Twitter. and Somebody made the note. It says, apparently – coming back from the brink of death is less impressive than getting the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, that, that sums it up. Yeah, that sums it up. that's what the voting he tells you. He played in five games, uh, played well, and threw 19,000 interceptions in that last game to lose it for him. Uh, yeah. But he's a comeback player. And I, and I get it, too. Even when DeMar last year, I mean, he was a backup safety last year when he got in. He got in the fee- on the field against Cincinnati. And then, you know uh, – had his injury happen to him, and he was came back. And he was another backup player this year, and was on and up and down and off the on and off the active roster. It is the comeback player of the year. I, I, if it was, I mean, just to get back onto a professional field is to be on a pro football team is an accomplishment, and I think sometimes we forget it. Demar. I mean, I don't know. I don't. You can't come back any further than Demar did. The guy was put in a medically induced coma. Okay, didn't wake up for two days, and even after he recovered and was discharged from the hospital, had to see dozens, dozens of specialists to ensure that it was safe to resume his playing career. And then, over the course of many months, finds his way back onto the playing field at the pro level. I mean. Come on, people. What are we voting for here? I mean, seriously. I, I, yeah. I, so, and I'm, and this is the thing, too. I, um, I don't want to belittle what Joe, did, Joe Flacco did because it, it really was remarkable. Coming in, taking over a team. And, and we've talked about this, too. The offensive coordinator, Alex Van Pelt, friend of mine and a good player in his own right, and now has been a really good coach for a lot of years, got the Cleveland Browns to the playoffs with four different starting quarterbacks during the regular season. I, it's a great story. Well, that's why it. Kevin Stefanski won Coach of the Year. Right. Kevin so Stefanski they were properly, properly recognized year. that way. And, of course, then after getting the – and this is the Cleveland Brownsiest thing ever. After getting the Cleveland Browns to the playoffs with four different starting quarterbacks, they fire the guy who was offensive coordinator Yeah, with all those guys. Um, it's the Brownsiest thing ever. And now their coach gets Coach of the Year. Um, and their quarterback, the last quarterback who took over, um, yeah, gets the comeback player of the year because he said no to a veteran minimum deal that somebody else offered him, and he said yes to the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. 
that's what he came back from. So, you want to you want to call Flacco's efforts remarkable? That's fine. It is. You want to give it that moniker? That's fine. It wasn't miraculous because that's what Demar Hamlin's comeback was. I tweeted it last night. Comeback was miraculous, yeah. miraculous. How that is not, how he is not comeback player of the year stupefies me, and yeah. I'm disappointed in the voters. Quite well, frankly, I am. Yeah, and I'm, am I biased? Absolutely. But tell me, you got a leg to stand on against my argument? Yeah. You don't. Yeah. I, I don't know what you're thinking. I, I think really it, don't. I think it's an absolute, and I don't know how somebody. <laughs> and they and they're talking about how one guy gave Josh a first place vote. I don't know why all five of those guys didn't get at least one first first place vote, right? Because they're all finalists in the in the um, MVP race. And you got to go down the list too of all the other awards. There, it does typify a flaw in the way they do it. And I don't know how you give somebody other than tomorrow first place vote, but they did. So you know that's the way it is. I and uh, it's listen, it's it's awards, it's. In the big scheme of things, it's a small thing. It certainly means something to the guys involved, no question about it. And congratulations to all the winners. They, I don't want to. I hate when you get into this thing where you somehow have to tear down the guy who actually won it in order to promote your guy. I don't want to do that because all of those guys went out there and laid it on the line for their team, and uh, they deserve some credit for that, no question about it. It's the people just outside of it who who cover the sport who bother you. Right, the ones who vote and the ones who have opinions and the ones who have bias, like you and I, we have huge bias, uh, you know, in in favor of the Bills and in, in favor of Demar and stuff. So we, you know, you got to take everything we say. Anybody outside of the Bills Mafia has to take everything we say with a grain of salt. I get it. Yeah. So uh, I'm I am not here to disparage any of the guys who won. Man, it is a it is a huge honor to be in the conversation for all of that stuff. So kudos to all those guys. Uh, and, and let me just say this. Joe Flacco, comeback player of the year, no question about it. And he's a, you know, he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback uh, in his career. Congratulations to him. But DeMar Hamlin um, is, kind of, is a little bit legendary to me. So uh, if, if there was an award for that, certainly DeMar deserves um, a spot in a, a special place in football fans' hearts for what he was able to accomplish, what he was able to overcome, and what he went through, uh, and how he went through it. Kudos to, uh, to, uh, to DeMar and, and our crew. So, I'm, I, I, so I, yeah, it's, it's an award show. It's, 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 about, it's more about entertainment than it is actually probably getting it right. And show take it for that. And ex- acknowledge all those guys and, and the good stuff they did this year. Uh, the 2024 Pro Football Hall of Fame class was also unveiled last night at the NFL Honors. And uh, the players to be inducted are as follows. Dwight Freeney, Randy Gratishar, Devin Hester, Andre Johnson, Steve McMichael, Julius Peppers, and Patrick Willis. Uh, my Twitter handle was blowing up last night. I'm sure Steve's was as well because Devin Hester arguably the greatest returner in the history of the game, was given induction as a special teams player. And we all know how difficult it has been for special teamers to get that proper recognition. What do we have? Ray Guy, Morton Anderson? Is that it? Uh, Ray Guy, Morton Anderson. uh, um, There's a third? uh, Jan Stenerud. Oh, Jan Stenerud, right. And Devin. Um, and, and there's and, and there's you know there's yeah 
So yeah. I believe this was Hester's second time to be That's eligible right. he was a on the ballot. He was a finalist last year, and uh, and usually, and what it means too is in the in the past, anybody who has been a finalist in that line sooner or later did get in, and so he got yeah. in. He was a finalist on his first go around. He knew he was going to have a really good shot at it. So. For those that aren't familiar with Hester, obviously spent most of his uh, career with the Chicago Bears, and he has the NFL record for most return touchdowns in NFL history. He's got 20, counting punts, kickoffs, missed field goals, fumbles, and interceptions. He has 19 of those on punt and or kick returns. So I'm not going to debate that he's probably the best return man the league has ever seen, but it's still strikes a nerve i know for a lot of bills fans knowing that the guy to my left has not been given more consideration beyond being a semi-finalist several times and now you're no longer a modern era candidate you're a right. seniors committee candidate and hopefully your name well it's comes up for listen that. it's great and, and I'll, I'll say this too and i i appreciate i like you my you can imagine my phone yeah you know um i will say this i and i told brownie this before we came out i said bro do be, do I don't want to hear anybody saying anything about bad about the guys who actually got in. Yeah, the, don't Randy Gratishars, Dwight Freeney, Devin Hester, Andre Johnson, Steve McMichael, Julius Peppers, Patrick Willis. Those guys, they deserve it. And be happy for those guys. And it it's not going to help, you know, by by tearing guys who deserve to be in. Uh, so I, you're not helping anybody. Just hey, just be happy for those guys. I wouldn't change anything about my career at all. I loved it. I appreciate the sentiments, um, and I, I I love it for these guys. I'm and Devin and and I'll say this too, and I know a lot of Bills fans will cringe when Matt Slater has got a really good chance of getting in when he comes up in five years. Matt Slater is uh, an all time great special teamer, and I know this too. There are guys who came way before me as special teamers that I love and respect a lot. Mossy Tatupu, that he uh, God rest his soul. Uh, Hank Bauer. Uh, Bill Bates, of course, um, Michael Bates, Rufus Porter, the ton of guys that were fantastic special teams players that um, were inspirational to me. So uh, it's it's not a slight in any way, shape, or form not to get in the Hall of Fame. So don't don't I think, disparage that yeah. by think just because you want your favorite guy to be in. <laughs> I'll just me. <laughs> I'll just say this. I think what rubs people the wrong way about this is we witnessed this at the receiver position in recent years. Yeah. Andre was certainly deserving of going into the Hall of Fame. And what did they tell him? He's got to wait his turn. Right? Sure. But eventually. Oh, yeah. But eventually his turn came up and he gained induction before some other people that came behind him. So I think people, especially Bills fans, witnessed that exercise and said, well, how come that doesn't compute on special teams? Because how does they see Devin Hester as leapfrogging Steve Tasker's candidacy? That, I think well, that's what rubs Bills fans the wrong way. He's different. He was a return well, guy. Different I was a type cover of guy. specialist, yes. Yeah, so I, I, don't worry about it. It's all right. It, the, the Hall of Fame, is, is, uh, it should be an extremely high bar. And let's keep it that way. Yeah, uh, I, I don't have a problem with that, yeah. but that I think that's what irks Bills fans. Well, so, don't let it irk you. It's it's fun to be in the com- in conversation, right? And and I'm I'm very honored by it and flattered by it. And the guys that the seven guys that got in, phenomenal dudes. And and I, let me just say this: 
I grew up out in the West, out well, Midwest. It's in Kansas, very close to the Colorado line. Randy Gratishar has been waiting a long, long, long time to get into the Yeah, he was the Seniors Committee nominee. He was, he was a fantastic player, very lo- beloved by the Denver Broncos fan base, and it's, and it's great to see guys like him get a chance to go in finally. And, and bless his heart, I'm, I'm so happy for him. Don't think uh, that it's a, a slight to be held out of the Hall of Fame. Don't think I'm being insulted by being held out of the Hall of Fame. It's a very high bar, and, some, and like a guy like Randy Gratishar, he's older than me. He's older than me. And uh, and is now getting in. So be happy for these guys, man. Yeah. I hope it. I, you know, I hope it's, it's something that gives them peace in their own lives because that they all deserve it. All of them. Julius Peppers was a fantastic player. Steve McMichael. I've sat and spoken yeah. with Steve, and now Longo. and now he's uh, battling ALS. Battling yeah. ALS, and you know Dwight Freeney. Um, all these guys we've seen play and cheer for, it. and Andre Johnson, um, a Houston Texan. Going headed into the Hall of Fame, yeah. bless him, bless his heart. So get, uh, be happy for these guys, man, because yeah. it it's got to be a great feeling. And and they and I know all of them worked extremely hard and made a lot of sacrifices to get there. So I appreciate all the sentiments and Brownie and I I, I try to head all this stuff off before we get there. <laughs> well, because you don't like talking about yourself, right? Because it's, it. it's but I'm I mean, not in. I'm not. I'm not here to be self serving or anything like that. So just I'm really really impressed with this class of Hall of Famers. They all richly deserve it, and man, I couldn't be happier for them. Yeah, you're, it's hard not to be happy for Steve McMichael, uh, who, as we said, has been battling ALS and is in you know pretty rough shape right now. He was represented by his wife at the NFL Honors last night because I don't think he's fit to travel uh, in his current state. And now the hope is that he can just get to his enshrinement day uh, in August. Uh, so hopefully he can hang on and do that. But that was one tough son of a gun right up front in the middle of that Bears 85 defense. And now, Steve, if you look at it, the 1985 Bears, mm-hmm. Steve McMichael is going to be, I think I have this count right, one, two, three, four, five. He is going to be the sixth player from the 1985 Bears to gain induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The others... On defense alone, Richard Dent, Mike Singletary, and Dan Hampton, who was his fellow defensive tackle, lined up right next to him. As a matter of fact, McMichael lined right up in between Dent and Hampton on that defensive line. Um, And then on offense, obviously, Walter Payton and the guard, Jim Covert. Uh, Jimbo, yeah. Those are the guys from the 85 Bears. So this is going to be player number six from the 85 Bears in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And there are three players on the induction list that at least played part of their career with the Bears. Hester, mm-hmm. McMichael, and then Julius Peppers at the end of his career. That's right. I think we can call the Bears a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame game in August. Yeah. Because they usually put a team in that game with yeah, the Bears would make people some that sense. have inductees. The Bears would make some I, I think sense they're a shoe-in. Yeah, absolutely. Three, yeah. three of the seven right. inductees played for the Bears. Save, yeah, it's, yeah, that's right. That's right. They're, they're a shoe-in. Although... You're right. But the cynical part of me says, well, let's get two other teams because we know all the Chicago people are going to be there anyway. Let's bring in a couple of other cities so we can get even more people yeah. to them. Well, that's the way the NFL works. They know what they're doing. Yeah. So, so anyway, But anyway, congratulations to those yeah. guys. Awesome. It's always fun. And, and I, I love it that the, 
that the league puts it on this weekend with the Super Bowl and all that. You can look for it. It's just one more thing that that puts the NFL above and beyond other other sports. They do everything the right way and then the right timing. It's been it's fun. I that I I <laughs> I've never I tell everybody. I'm you know I've told you I've never been to Vegas. That's right, and I'm fine with that right now. Um, I even the Super Bowl being there. This I'm like, man, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I might, you know, if we had to go out to Vegas for an entire week, all my friends who've been there say, no, three days, man, max, three days, yeah. and get out. A week might, you know, you and I might never. It could, we might, se- it could we sell might, you. We yes. might be a, you know, permanently scarred. Yeah, turn into vagrants the rest of our lives. <laughs> um, yeah, you never know. They call you it Sin know. City for a reason. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we also have to remind you it is OBL Fan Friday Mailbag. Any question on your mind about the Bills, the league, free agency, the draft, whatever you got on your scope there that you want to ask, feel free to do that at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. We also wouldn't mind taking your best swing at – what you think is going to be the difference in Sunday's Super Bowl. So if you have a pick and you feel that there is going to be a deciding factor in this game to determine the winner, you let us know what that is as well. 803-0550-1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. But let's go to the phones, and we lead off with Bob in Hamburg today. What do you got for us, Bob? I am pissed. <laughs> that man is the best special teams football player in the league and he's not even in the hall of fame and they put that that kickoff punt return man that that's crazy i'm sorry steve you should be in there no doubt about it well i'll tell you yeah like i said um like i said bob the guys they're putting in it's hard it's hard not to put them in those guys all deserve it uh, even the guy the old timers guy the randy gratishar what a guy so I uh, appreciate it, but yeah, Devin Hester was. I mean, let's face it. I mean, you talk about moments in the NFL. Let me just give you a, a couple for a, one for Devin Hester. In the Super Bowl, the Bears played against the Indianapolis Colts. There was a lot of talk about Devin Hester being the kick returner and the Colts, you know. And you come into those games with a team, and I, I was on these teams. So the the Bears show up to this game, and the Colts show up, and they're very confident. Both those clubs are very confident. And Tony Dungy, the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, is sitting there going, "No, we're gonna we're gonna kick it. We're gonna play football, and we're gonna we're gonna kick it to the guy. We're, I trust my players." So the opening kickoff goes to Devin Hester, and he takes it back the distance. Uh, opening kickoff of a Super Bowl, the guy catches it and goes when everybody in the stadium knows that's the guy, right? That's something special, and that's the kind of player he was as a kick return guy. So I'm, don't don't be, you know, don't have anything. Against don't have Hester. anything against Devin Hester. It's not. I mean, he's not the guy responsible. It's not about for him. Keeping, yeah, it's not about him. He he deserves it. So, and that's the same thing with the other six guys in his class. These guys are phenomenal. Some of them I played against. They're really good. So it yeah, it's it's awesome. And and um, yeah, so I'm I appreciate it, Bob. But yeah, don't let it upset you. Crazy thing is, um, nobody's touching that record. Not with the way kickoff. Oh no! Not with the way kickoff rules are now. That's you right. You don't have a snowball's chance in hell of catching Devin Hester yeah. for the all-time return for touchdown record. I mean, nineteen. Hey, Who's coming up with nineteen right, in a here, career now? Here's the thing. Um, 
You never say never, obviously, but under the current rules. There's no way in it. No way in no Nobody's way. touching. But <laughs> if they tinker with the rules further to make it more dangerous, there could be a guy that comes up and, and has, you know, 50. Because they yeah. may say, listen, we're going to start re- doing this. we got to do this different. And they may make it so safe that it's difficult to defend. Yeah. Um, that's just that's that's on the other side of the spectrum. I doubt that'll happen, and it's certainly not happening anytime. And certainly, uh, it's hard to envision it. But well, that's the only way. That's yeah. the only way that record ever gets sniffed. Because there has been talk that the competition committee is going to take a look at the XFL's kickoff rules, which basically have the coverage team and the kickoff team ten yards away from each other, down at the return end of the field, and the it's a tag up situation like in baseball. The coverage team can't move from their assigned spot. Neither can the return team blockers until the return man catches the ball. And then that releases the coverage team from their spot. But they're only 10 yards away from the return team. It seems like it's got some traction. Does that make returning kicks easier? I don't know that it does. It's interesting, though. Safer doesn't necessarily mean easier. Reduces the force of the collisions, for sure. Because there's less run-up time. We'll see. Uh, but that that that's what I'm talking about. You're yeah. right. That Devin Hester's record looks safer now than any other record yeah. in, in the league. It really any does. other league record. But because they started to tinker with those rules and, and continue to do that, it may become vulnerable years away when they say, Okay, now we're gonna do this and like one out of every ten kickoffs is returned, you know, then you got mm-hmm. a chance at it. It is OBL Friday fan mailbag. Any question you got on the Bills, the league, free agency, the draft, fire them off at us at 803-0550. Got to take a break here, but more of your phone calls when we come back. Cindy in Niagara Falls, Richard in Buffalo. We'll get to you when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on a Friday on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And uh, we got to get right back to the phones as it's an OBL Friday fan mailbag. And we go to Sydney in Niagara Falls. What's up, Sydney? Hi, guys. Thanks for your show. You do a great job. Um, first off, I liked, I watched the NFL Awards last night. And you know what? They had a quick shot of Josh Allen for MVP. Um, I think the press and they really influence what people are voting for. Um, Devar Hamlin. And like you said, you know, the whole country was crying and praying for him during his, his uh, down on the field. And, and you know what? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry sick of hearing about Flacco getting off his mother and father's couch to come and play in the NFL. I don't care. That doesn't, it, it doesn't even compare to what DeMar Hamlin went through. Yeah. Well, so I just don't think that the, the NFL pays enough accolades to the Buffalo Bills and it's getting old. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Well, here's the thing. You said something about the media doing this. It's the media who votes on these things. Majority of media members Um, are the voters. It's nationally accredited media members. It's hard to get you. Not just anybody gets a vote. Do you know who votes now? Tom Brady for Fox Sports. Oh, there you go. He got a vote. He got a vote. I guess they feel he's plugged in. 
I'm sure he yeah, watches I'm sure football. Yeah, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he knows. And, and Emmanuel I, I'm okay Acho. With, I'm okay Eman- with that. Emmanuel Acho's got to vote. Emmanuel Acho's got to vote from FS1. I guess he voted for Tua since he called him the best player in the AFC back in September. Do you remember mm. that? Yeah. I'm sure his MVP vote was for Tua yeah. this year. First place vote there. Listen, I, I, it, it's hard to get it right, but, you know, <laughs> I think in the comeback player of the year, DeMar did they, as much as he could to make it easy. They got that one wrong. I think and so we're, in the second hour of the show, we're going to have Judy Batista joining us from NFL Network. Um, she was kind of wondering about how the voting went as well. Um, she does not have a vote, by the way. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look to her to enlighten us on an explanation for that one because it defies logic. Yeah, and I'll me. say this too. DeMar did get the most first-place votes. Um, I don't know how you vote for him third, but some people did. So there you go. Yeah. Let's get back to the phones at 803-0550. One eight 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 five fifty two five fifty, and we go to Richard in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Richard? Hey, this is Richard Dixon. I'm out here driving around West Coast, New York, Buffalo. Uh, I'm looking at the draft. I know we need receivers. I know we need some line help. We need some uh, safety, something like that. But uh, I'm thinking, uh, what about that Rice kid? You know, like Jerry Rice. I think, if I'm not mistaken, when he came in the draft, they said, you know, he wasn't the fastest guy and this and that. And he turned out being the best ever. So I'm wondering if that's the same case with the kid. He know anything about him? Yeah, um, he was at the Senior Bowl, so I got an extensive look at him uh, last week because uh, he factored in well. Um, I will say this. At the Senior Bowl, when they run those drills where it's one-on-one receiver versus corner, it's really not fair for the corner because the receiver's got the whole field to work with to create separation. Um, All that being said, though, I think Rice is a solid prospect. I don't know that he's an elite prospect, but to your point, they did say the same thing about Jerry Rice. Um, I think he could be a successful NFL player, but I do want to see more. He's, I think these are the things that are impressive about him. Physical. He is a physical receiver. 6'2", 212. Yeah, and he uses all of it. Right. Um, the one thing that I noticed on the routes he was running at the Senior Bowl, particularly in the game, he has got this technique down, and you can speak to this better than I can, Steve, but right near the end of the route when the ball is on the way, he is so good on downfield routes, leaning into the corner to widen the space between him and the corner to create separation down the sideline. He's really good at just doing that subtle little lean into the corner to kind of knock him away and then come back to the ball and make the catch over his shoulder. Um, Good route runner, too. Pretty pretty sharp in his route running polish. I think those are the the good things about him. But he's been called like a day-two prospect by most of the – Experts, Daniel yeah, and Jeremiah I think it's the, the same. Like. And I think the probably the knock on him would probably be a, a, like a combination of things where he's just not. I mean, he's he's, he's on this side. I'm looking at it, it. Looks like he runs a four three eight forty. That's way fast enough. At six two two twelve, that's frighteningly fast. Um, he unless he can't catch, it's hard to poke a hole in him. Just looking at the numbers. But there's, but there you have it. He's a day two prospect, and and I wouldn't, you know, I, I'll say this too: if he works half as hard as his dad worked to be good, he is going to be good. 
really good. That's that's where Jerry was different. I mean, he was, Jerry, there was like nine guys who were – there was like 9,000 guys who were better athletes or bigger, stronger, you name it. But there was like zero guys who worked harder than he did. Yeah. Plus that stuff, the techniques and stuff, Jerry Rice – was a guy who his dad was a, a guy who knew how to give a quarterback what he was looking for to get the ball, and Montana loved it, and so did Steve Young. He just had a knack for making a quarterback believe he was open and knew where he wanted the ball, and you know what I mean. It's um, it's hard to explain, yeah. But some quarterbacks have favored guys because when they look at him, they know exactly what the guy's doing and where he wants the football, and and he's got enough space to get it in there. There's a lot in that. And that's why Jerry was good. Now, this guy, obviously, people are looking for some more stuff out of him. But physically, the guy looks like he's got a yeah. hand, you know, both lot, hands full. Yeah, a lot of the scouting experts project him to a slot role because they say he doesn't have the long speed to win outside consistently. Uh, but they say for a man his size, 6'2", 212, he has very good short area quickness. That obviously helps you in the slot where you have a two-way go. So they feel that he can maximize his game inside rather than outside. And because he has good athleticism, not elite athleticism, that's why people are projecting him to the latter stages of day two in what is a stacked receiver class. So that, that's probably hurting him too, the fact that there are so many good receivers uh, in this year's class. Let's get back to the phones, and we go to John in Buffalo next. What's up, John? John, pick up, uh, turn your radio down. All right, I got to, I got to put him on a hold here, and we'll get back to him. Um, who we have up next here? I think we have Kevin in Hamburg next. What's up, Kevin? Kevin, are you there? Yeah. Hello. Yep, you're up, Kevin. What's what do you okay. got for us? I just want to talk to you about the draft coming up real yep. fast. Um, I saw in one of those drafts after the. The championship weekend was over. I can't remember whose draft it was. And uh, we were talking about receivers. The Bills getting maybe they had him to the Bills. Some receiver from Texas named Mitchell. Yep. But I can't remember his first name. I don't know. I call him A.D. Mitchell. Yeah, A.D. is what they call him. And I watched him in that Longhorn spanking of Alabama when he beat him by 17 points or whatever. He smoked. You don't usually smoke Nick Saban's defense. Really much, but he smoked them like he looked like a Jerry Rice with a Longhorn helmet on. He smoked them bad, and you don't really smoke Nick Saban defense that bad. And there's one other thing I want to say. Remember, you're talking about the '85 Bears defense yep. and Hall of Famers. There's yeah. one guy I'd like to see on. Do you remember Gary Fensick? Yes, yes. The safety. Yeah, the safety. I'd like to see him because I remember you know you always talk about the '85 Bears, how good they were. But he played on some pretty vomitous teams that were ever heard of the 46 defense, and he played good, but they were so putrid that I'd like to see if anyone gets on that defense, him. He was good, but they, you know they always talk about Singletary, the guys you mentioned, and even Leslie Frazier, our former coordinator. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Gary Fensick, if I was putting a guy for that defense, I'd put him on because he played yeah. really good even in the – the vomitous years in the Bears. Yeah, they, they, yeah, you're right. They had some really great players. Doug Fensick and, and I think it was Doug Plank as well. Or Doug great. Plank, yeah. Doug Plank was another good safety on that, Dave on that team. Dave Dewerson, uh, Wilbur Marshall, uh, and, of course, Refrigerator Perry. 
a ton of they had some. I mean, you knew everybody on that Otis defense. Otis Wilson. Otis Wilson was a was an animal on that defense. They had some. They had some truly great players, and I. Uh, and I and I get it. Uh, it was a forty-six defense. It was a different look, and they ran it different than anybody had ever run a defense before. Buddy Ryan got a lot of kudos for for coming up with the concept, and and it it was a little bit of a technological advance. But let me tell you something. I, it's it's great and all that. And you know who else? Jeff Fisher was on that. It was an IR on that team in '85. He was a. Uh, that's where he began his cut his mm-hmm. coaching teeth under Buddy Ryan. As good as that 46 defense was and the concept and how cool and unique it was, they ran two outside linebackers, stand-up outside linebackers over the tight end, and they had one defensive end with his hand on the ground on the other side on the weak side. That was that was um, uh, the big defensive end. like the, the Hall of Famer's Richard Dent. Richard Dent was on the other side by, with his hand on the ground. So they got all this stuff, but <laughs> I, and I know I'm sh- you know I'm kind of showing my bias. It was a player's defense. Uh, Buddy Ryan was great. It was a great technological advance. It was a great look. But Richard Dent, Mike Singletary, uh, you know, Fensick, Plank, Dewerson, Wilbur Marshall, the Refrigerator Perry, you know, Dan Hampton. That those are the that was the defense. You could have run any defense you wanted with those jokers. They were good. They were talented and they were nasty. And Mike Singletary, it was him running that thing on the field, making checks that really made the thing work. So uh, as good as that defense was, it wasn't, just a, it wasn't just a unique way to play defense. It was a bunch of guys who were unique. Yeah, and I'll just say quickly on A.D. Mitchell, just for a little more on him, because Kevin asked, uh, he's like 6'4", 196, so has the length and size you want outside. And people may not know this, but he was a transfer from Georgia. Uh, went there as a three-star recruit uh, after they won their first title, national title, was on the title team in 2022, and flat out was a touchdown maker. Flat out, touchdown maker. Had a big touchdown. I want to say it was either in the, in the national semifinal. I think it was the national semifinal. Big touchdown in that game. Um, so you know he can play in the clutch. And then he transferred to Texas. And it, people say, oh, he wanted more involvement in the offense. It wasn't that. He transferred to Texas because that's where his son is. Um, he's got a young boy because he's from Texas. He wanted to be closer to his son. That is the main impetus for why he transferred from Georgia to Texas. It's like, why would you leave a national title team, especially when you're going to have a bigger role? He did it so he could be closer to his son, which I think speaks a little bit to his character as well, but then had a very productive season in a brand-new offense in just one year in the SEC. So – I like him as a player, and I think this is one of those guys who's going to be further down the board because of how deep the talent is at receiver in this draft. You get this kid, I think you're going to be very happy. Um, long, angular guy, runs good routes, catches in traffic. I, I Just from watching Georgia football, I've seen a lot of him. So you could do a lot worse than A.D. Mitchell. I think he would be a good addition for Buffalo's roster, if not at the top of the draft, maybe later on day two. Break time for us. More of your phone calls next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, back we are here on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And 
Back to the phones we go and to Elliot in Rochester. What do you got for us, Elliot? Hey, Chris and Steve. few things here. Uh, first one, hey, A.D. Mitchell. I watched him tear it up versus Nick Saban uh, versus Alabama and then in the Cotton Bowl against Washington. Um, would be nice to have a guy like him or Troy Franklin, great speed. For the love of all that is holy and righteous, get Josh Allen another weapon. Uh, <laughs> right. The second thing, speaking of Josh Allen, is Josh Allen fifth in the MVP voting is a certifiable abomination because I can understand all due respect to Lamar Jackson, him getting first place in the voting. I can go to sleep at night with that. But I mean, this is a guy who the the entire media was clowning all off season about not having an agent. He can't play. He's too injury prone. So in my opinion, they had a lot of saving face to do. Um, if, if you ask me, um, I just think if you take a guy like Josh Allen and change his name to Patrick Mahomes, you keep the same stats, you keep the same supporting cast around him. I think there's an argument to be made that the media voters would have voted Josh Allen MVP. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, a lot of people look at the Bills and say this is a team that might have won four games, five games without a guy like Josh Allen. And, uh, yeah, I get you can make that argument with a lot of people, but Lamar Jackson had the best defense in the league. I mean, if you threw in Snoop Huntley or Tyler Huntley, that's a team that could still potentially be in playoff contention. So that's my thoughts there. Um, as far as the Super Bowl goes, I think it comes down to whether Brock Purdy, love the kid, if he can handle himself in that big moment, if the pressure's not too much for him. Uh, you know, if the Chiefs defense can't make him crumble, I think it's up to, to him to be able to keep his head in it. That's my thoughts, guys. Thank you so much. I'll listen now. All right. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Um, yeah. And yeah, fifth you're, is you're echoing the thoughts about the MVP. You're echoing the thoughts of a lot of Bills fans today about Josh and how he stacks up against fifth the other is guys. Embarrassed. I get it. Um, you're and we, you know, obviously all Bills fans are going to agree with you. Just like most Dallas fans today are wishing Dak would have been higher in the whatever. Um, it's the way it is. Um, when your guy doesn't win, you kind of wish he would have, and that's where we live. Well, yeah, but Elliot's only issue was the fact that he was fifth. I mean, that's an abomination in his words, and yeah. I think he's bang on with that. He should not be fifth. I'm sorry. I agree. He's one of the three best quarterbacks in football, if not the best. I agree. In terms of talent, and he's had a fair amount of success in this league. He made the playoffs every year except one that he's been a starter. So – I mean, call it what you will, but fifth is ridiculous. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Right. Uh, let's go to Mark in Jersey. What do we got, Mark? Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, before I get to my point, Steve, you won't stump for yourself, but I'll stump for you. Um, the play that you made at Raiders 93, I don't know what Jager was doing on the kickoff, but somehow it ended up in your hands. And you changed the flow of the game because the Bills could do nothing on offense. I believe Davis ends up doing one of his patented goal line touchdown leaps. But that play always stuck with me. And um, I've never seen a player like you make more tackles and force fumbles, block kicks, and come in and just salvage what you could from a depleted receiving core in 95 and 96. You're a Hall of Famer, so I'll say it for you. Um, I remember when um, Hertz was a lock for the MVP after the Bills' loss in Philly before the bye week, he runs in, you know, everybody's like, you know, down on the Bills, and they're talking about how they saw that defense and they knew what they were in. And, you know, 
that was on the heels of the article and Hurts was the lock for MVP and the way they fell, I think they were 10 and one at the time or yeah. 11 and one. Yeah. And they just fell and one, off yeah. a cl- they fell off a cliff and I don't even know what his voting status was yesterday. The NFL has never seen a player like Josh Allen at quarterback ever. You know, he gets tagged with the turnovers and everything like that. Peyton Manning had more turnovers in his first five years. And he's universally seen as the best quarterback prospect in the last 30 years. So was Andrew Luck. He had more turnovers than Josh. Josh with the accuracy. Uh, Andrew Luck was never as accurate as Josh. Ever. Go look at his first five years. So I just, there's a certain people who get anointed as the golden child from day one, and they just stay there. And Josh was seen as, you know, the parody of the quarterback prospects. Sorry for my long-winded rant. But, Steve, you're a Hall of Famer, and thanks for taking my call, guys. Yep, sure thing. Well, thanks. All I can say, thanks for uh, the stuff you said. I appreciate it. All I can say, it was was fun while it lasted. It was fun to play. It was fun to be on that team and fun to be a part of the NFL for as long as I was. And uh, I love watching it play now. I I was – there were some guys last night, and they said, hey, I don't know if you want – I don't want to – I know you don't want to talk about football. I I go, listen, it's one of my favorite things to do. So, yeah, go ahead. Um, So, yeah, it – you're right. Josh uh, is, is, has always been a polarizing figure at quarterback. And it's not going to stop. People were so over-the-top critical of him when he came out. They feel bad about now being made to look like they were completely wrong. I mean, famously, you got guys going, listen, if, the, if Josh Allen turns out to be good, the Bills have – basically outsmarted the entire universe and outsmarted all of math, you know? So it's like, it was mathematically impossible for Josh to be any good. Um, People were saying stuff like that. And now they, they can't, they cannot stand that they were absolutely wrong. Yeah. There's some of that still out there for Josh. Um, You know, the best way about it is just keep on keeping on. And uh, I hate, I hate to say keep winning. I said it on our podcast this week. He's got to win a title to erase the narrative that's out there on him. It's not going to change, I hate to say it, until he wins a title. And just to answer Mark's question, where did Jalen Hurts show up in the MVP voting? Nowhere. He didn't get a single vote. Not for first, second, third, fourth, or fifth place. Miles Garrett got a fifth place vote for NFL MVP. Jalen Hurts got none. My point that I was trying to make earlier in the show is that people had already made their mind up on Josh Allen in week 13 when the team was 6-6. Six and six. In their mind, he was not an MVP for them. And that's where it was, as far as I see it. Got to take a break, but hour number two begins with NFL Network's Judy Batista, who actually talked to this guy to my left about a story she recently wrote about Super Bowl rematches, which we have this year, with San Francisco and Kansas City. We'll catch up with Judy next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
on Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number two on a Friday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and pleased to be joined now by NFL columnist and reporter for the NFL Network, one Judy Batista joining us and sharing some of her very, very busy week out at the Super Bowl with us. So, Judy, appreciate you doing that for us with the Super Bowl on deck here in just a couple of days. Um, I, I want to begin with the NFL honors. I know you uh, tweeted as much about this, so I'll start right here. Uh, the <laughs> the comeback player of the year, Judy. Um, as Steve said himself, and probably said it best, nobody came back from more than DeMar Hamlin did last year, and yet the guy that played in six games for the Browns and led them to the playoffs, which you know has its merits, no debate about that, uh, wins NFL Comeback Player of the Year by virtue of a, a hefty number of second-place votes, uh, which kind of put him over the top in the point totaling by the Associated Press. Um, where did that voting leave you? Uh, I was shocked. I, I mean, shocked. I don't know. First of all, Mike DeMar Hamlin was my Comeback Player of the Year from the second he stepped on a practice field again, right? Like, as soon as he got back to practice. I was like, that's enough for me. Uh, Nobody came back from a more, obviously from a more dire circumstance than he did. Um, And the, you know, he has been very candid. I think Sean has talked about like sort of not just the physical recovery, but mentally what it takes to get back on a football field after uh, being stricken on it. Um, uh, I was shocked by the vote and that is taking nothing away from Joe Flacco at all, who I think everybody agrees um, it was a great story this year and performed really well coming off the sofa. Uh, so it's taking nothing away from Joe. Uh, but to me, DeMar Hamlin is clearly the comeback player of the year and uh, one of the most remarkable stories in NFL history. Are there any other of the awards off the top of your head that were head scratchers for you? No, I mean, look, Kevin Stefanski, uh, I have no problem with winning coach of the year. I probably... Uh, at the end, I th- probably thought D'Amico Ryan's probably got the edge um, just because he, you know, he got the team uh, into the playoffs, a rookie head coach with a rookie quarterback. But Kevin Stefanski, I have no problem with that one. I mean, uh, you know, he he had five different quarterbacks and they still made it to the playoffs. So that's a pretty hefty coaching job, too. Uh, nothing else jumps out to me, you know, beyond comeback player of the year. Some of them I were really I was thrilled for Cam Hayward. Um, being the Walter Payton man of the year. He has been uh, active for so very long um, in the community and done so much good work. I was thrilled to see him recognized. Yeah, we, you know, obviously there are some very, very biased Bills fans that I don't know that they're terribly annoyed by Lamar winning it. Lamar certainly had a strong season. I think they're more irked that Josh was fifth. Um, I think that's what the bone of contention is there. And, you know, we can argue the merits of the voting for this award as much as we want, Judy. The the place where I come down is it seems at least in the recent years that the trajectory of an MVP candidate's team's one-loss record seems to factor into the decisions that are made. And there's a part of me that wonders once the Bills got to week 13 with a 6-6 six and six record, I tend to believe that a lot of people wrote Josh Allen off as a true MVP candidate because they probably say to themselves, how can an MVP be on a six-loss football team? 
It's interesting because I think that might also be an issue with the DeMar Hamlin situation is his story um, was so dominant in the early part of the season, right? That then, you know, it, it didn't have the urgency at the end. Um, and so that, to keep it fresh in everybody's mind. And I, I sort of wonder if, you know, I, I would agree with you that I think, you know, the fact that um, the Bills struggled in the first, you know, half, two thirds of the season, and then, I mean, they were incredibly hot at the end, but, um, and he was incredibly hot at the end, but I do wonder, you know, I mean, opinions start to form then too. And I, I wonder if that probably kept him down in the voting. I, to be, I'll be, I'll be honest about this. I don't know how the point total works. Like if you have Josh Allen, you know, second on your ballot, how does that, uh, get him in the rankings when all of the ballots are counted together? So, uh, I, so I don't know how that's factored in, but I, I, you know, I, I, think certainly by the end, he was higher than five. I mean, the other thing, and this is a much bigger conversation, is clearly the MVP award is now a quarterback award, right? Yeah. And, and certainly there are players in the league um, who are extremely important, who should be considered for MVP as well, who are not quarterbacks. And as we as we roll into, you know, this postseason, the end of this this last season, and you, and you think about the the you know, the stories that happened during this season, everything from off the field stuff like Taylor Swift to the on the field stuff uh, where, you know, you have eight coaching changes. And now that's the coaching whirlwind of the off season that we kind of come to accustomed to. What's the, is there, can you give us a handful of things that you're about this season that kind of strike you at this point when looking back saying, wow, I can't believe that happened. Well, the Taylor Swift phenomenon, I don't think is anything anybody could have imagined. Right. Um, and I think it's all good. Like I'm sort of uh, confused by the issue people have with it. It has brought a lot of viewers, um, a lot of interest to the NFL that might not have been there before. Um, a lot of it is women and young girls, and that's phenomenal because that is an audience that the NFL needs to work hard to capture and to retain. Um it's been amazing. And I can tell you, being here this week at the Super Bowl, Travis Kelsey, uh, I mean, look, he's obviously a, a Hall of Fame player. Uh, I mean, he is a cultural phenomenon right now. At at opening night, I was walking by. Travis Kelsey had more reporters around him than Patrick Mahomes, who was right next to him. So, you know, Travis Kelsey is sort of has gone up in, in uh, cultural awareness. It's um, So that story uh, was amazing. I, I think this was the year of the backup quarterback. I mean, I, which is good and bad. Uh, uh, terrible that so many starting quarterbacks suffered injuries that kept him off the field. Um, but it provided a lot of really fascinating stories and sort of um, and great stories of resilience for teams managing to do it. We just talked about the Cleveland Browns got to the playoffs using five different quarterbacks. Right? I mean, that is just nuts. The, the Vikings made a run at it with all of their backup quarterbacks. So uh, this to me was the year uh, of the backup quarterback. I'm sure the NFL looks at this and thinks like, well, let's never have another year where this many starting quarterbacks are off the field. Though. Yeah. Spinning it forward to the game on Sunday, uh, you astutely pointed out in a write-up you had on NFL.com this week called Same Cars, Different License Plates, 49ers Chiefs face the unique experience of a Super Bowl rematch. If I remember right after reading it, this is the fourth time that we have a rematch between two teams that have squared off in the recent past against one another. Um, what do you and with the same head coaches? Yes, and with the head same coach. head coaches. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, what do you feel is the most important thing that we should pull out of this rematch this time around that you learned from digging into some of the previous ones? 
you know, so in the three previous ones, this will be the fourth in the three previous ones, the winner of the first game also won the second, which is probably not that big a surprise um, because again, all of these rematches happened, I think within five years. And so there, there's not that much different, right? I mean, the head coach is the same. Um, many of the players are the same. As a matter of fact, uh, until this game coming up, the quarterbacks in all of these games were exactly the same. And so uh, when you take that into account, you think maybe this is not um, such a big deal. Troy Aikman, uh, when I talked to him, said, listen, there's no question that you get a psychological edge when you have already beaten a team once. You know you can do it. Um, you know that your coaches can do it. And so that gives you some sort of psychological advantage going in. Um, you know, but this one I think is a little bit different because again, the quarterback is not the same. A lot about this San Francisco 49ers has, has changed since they lost uh, to the chiefs on the first go around. The quarterback is different. Christian McCaffrey was not on the 49ers. That's a big one. They have a different defensive coordinator. Brendan Ayuk was not on the team. So um, a lot of the weapons are different. Uh, the defensive coordinator is different. This one, you know, I think is maybe a little bit more of a twist than the previous three. And not only that, we're, I was reading as well that the Chiefs defensive roster, there's one guy on that defensive starting roster that was there, and that's Chris Jones. Everybody else, all the 10 other guys are different and new. An incredibly young roster and completely different on the Chiefs side. And I've been, We've been talking this week about teams who were close this year or who have been close in the past who try to run it back. And I've made the point that it's almost impossible to run it back because so much about an NFL team changes year to year, even when you feel like you've got everybody returning. Well, especially, I mean, look at the Chiefs for most of the regular season, right? They looked as vulnerable as they have ever looked um, in the Patrick Mahomes era. I mean, the offense really sputtered for most of the season, right? I mean, you remember those games with the dropped passes, the, the lining up offside, the penalties, uh, you know, to the point where you you rarely see Patrick Mahomes as frustrated as he was um, during some games during the regular season. And then, uh, you know, late in the season, they lost that game on Christmas Day to the Raiders, and they all point to that game as that was sort of the slap in the face. Like, you better snap out of it. It's late. And if we're going to do this, we got to wake up. Um, and they sort of, they they shrunk uh, the wide receiver rotation. And you could see them start to get into a rhythm with Patrick. Travis Kelsey, who, um, you know, was still their leading receiver, but, you know, was clearly not uh, at the normal Travis Kelsey level. Well, during the playoffs, he has been at the normal Travis Kelsey level. And so you can see they are back to looking like what they've looked like um, on offense. And in the meantime, the defense, which carried them all during the regular season, has just been superb uh, during the playoffs as well. So, uh, you know, I, this was a different kind of year for the Chiefs. Um, but I, I think for them, that may give them more confidence because they know that they can win games with their defense now. It doesn't have to just be the offensive juggernaut taking over. Yeah, and then the other thing that I pulled from the write-up that I had completely forgotten about was Steve Spagnuolo was the defensive coordinator yes. who foiled the Patriots' perfect season, yes. uh, and here he is again. And talk about NFL honors. This is a guy that I really thought should have gotten a lot more consideration for assistant coach of the year, and he finished, I think, a distant fifth or sixth as well, which completely stunned me because the defense is the strength of the Chiefs now, I think you could argue. Um, so what do you think about Spagnolo being able to foil a, a 49ers offense that more often than not seems to have all the right answers? 
Well, I, I mean, I like your chances with Steve Spagnuolo. Again, uh, you know, back in 2007, I, I was covering those playoffs with the Giants and the Patriots. That was the Patriots' undefeated season. And that's probably, when you go back and talk to the Patriots, Patriots people will tell you, that was probably the most talented Patriots team of their dynasty, of the 20-year stretch. Um, and they had been rolling, if you just remember, right? I mean, Brady to Randy Moss, Brady to Randy Moss. It was They were just exploding on offense. Uh, and then they ran up against the Giants, and um, they they took them down. You remember they, they sacked Brady at the end as he was trying uh, for a comeback win. So uh, Spagnuolo is used to these, like, sort of high-leverage situations where you're taking on a really explosive offense. And don't forget, I think uh, you, you mentioned he finished like way down in the voting for assistant coach of the year. To me, the signature win was the one in the AFC championship game against the Ravens who had been fantastic. And Lamar had had this great season and they were this, that they were the number one running team in the league. And he just shut it down and got the Ravens out of their game very quickly. Um, and that to me is the signature win for the defense, even though I agree with you, the defense really carried the, the Chiefs all season. What I mean, Everybody has this scenario too, when we get to the Super Bowl and how it's going to play out on Sunday, everybody has this vision of how they think it's going to go, you know, whether they think the Niners are going to win or whether they think the Chiefs are going to win. Where What's the big question for you for either one of these teams as to what may keep them from winning it or what may give them the edge? What don't you well, know? I don't think you know? it's all on... <laughs> Not Kyle Shanahan, but to me, I, right? I mean, if they fall behind, he um, he has a pretty tortured history in the Super Bowl um, when his team falls behind. Uh, when he was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta, um, they got way ahead and then they could not hold on to the lead against, uh, against Tom Brady. Um, you know, and then obviously they lost the lead in a very short period of time um, here uh, against the Chiefs. So, I, I sort of wonder, you know, has Kyle broken out of that? Now, during these playoffs, the team has come from behind. So does that sort of erase the demons that he has, um, you know, of his offense being able to do it? But that I think that's my question is if there's a big margin either uh, with the Niners ahead, can they hold the lead or behind? Can they come back? I don't think you want to be in a deep hole against the Chiefs defense right now. Um, and certainly not, you know, with a second year quarterback in Brock Purdy. Um, but I guess that would be my question is can Kyle finally sort of exercise his Super Bowl demons? Yeah. Uh, last one I've got for you, Judy. You know, we know that Commissioner Goodell had his State of the League address, uh, and we've seen the international games being pushed and pushed and pushed, and now we're going to have a game in Brazil. It just got announced today there's going to be a game in Madrid in 2025. We had the fortunate opportunity to, to talk to Commissioner Goodell week one before the Monday night game, Bill's Jets. Uh, we had him in our booth, and he literally, unsolicited, started talking about having a division of teams in Europe, um, which I think is the long game that they're going to play. How far away do you think we are from that? A decade? Less? What, what would be your timetable if you had to put one on a division of teams in Europe? Uh, I, I think that's a long way away. I mean, first of all, you're talking about either ex massive expansion or massive relocation neither of which is, you know, is on the table imminently for the NFL. Um, I do think that there's no question that the international games are a top 
priority right now. Ex- growing the game internationally is uh, number one on Roger Goodell's uh, agenda right now. A- and they've had great reception, right? I mean, you know, London uh, first now, I mean, now it feels routine to play in London uh, and Germany too, great reception. Um, so they're going to a new continent now. They're going to South America. Um, I, you know, I think we're going to see more and more of this. I, you know, when they chose Sao Paulo, they, they had already looked at Rio uh, as an option. I wouldn't be surprised if they play a game there. Madrid, certainly Barcelona, Paris. So I, I would think we're going to see many more. When they passed the new CBA right as COVID was shutting everything down, um, you know, it, it gave them the option of, of playing eight games overseas. And I think that we will get to that uh, in fairly short order. But I think um, actually having teams based uh, outside of the United States, um, you know, overseas, I think is still a long way away. First of all, there's not a real appetite for expansion because if you add teams, that is more people who have to divide the pie and the owners don't particularly want to yeah. divide the pie any more than they have to. So I think we're quite a ways away from that. Yeah, it, it seems – yeah, it- it's a heavy lift. Yeah, it's a heavy lift. Four four it's new owners, four big new lift. owners, four new you know franchises, four new stadiums, four Plus new time changes yes, with four, the schedule. Well, let's face let's face it. It would be four brand new multi billion dollar entities out of thin air. That's hard. Yeah, that's hard. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Judy, thank you so much. It's great seeing you. Are you in Vegas? Or are you having fun? Oh, I'm in Vegas. Um, I mean, am I having fun? I, yes, yes, within the limits of, you know, working. I mean, you know what Super Bowl week yeah. is like. But, um, I mean, I can only imagine being a fan at this Super Bowl. They must be having a blast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Judy, thanks as always for the time. Enjoy the game on Sunday. We'll catch up with you later in the offseason. Much appreciated. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. All right, that's NFL columnist and reporter for NFL Network, Judy Batista, always plugged in to the league scene. So we wanted to catch up with her before the Super Bowl, kind enough to give us some of her time on what is a very busy week for her. She's been out there, I think, since Sunday. Um, so yeah, this pe- is like day yeah. six for her in Las Vegas, just embedded. Just, yeah. She'll just probably give me, be there through the game. Just I give me a think. nap. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and that's why I wanted to get some of the league business yeah, the, uh, from her, too, because this international game push is just – it's. It's nonstop. It's borderline relentless. Yeah, it's it's coming now to the fact that everything that happens in the off season seems monumental, um, whether it be subtle rule changes, international games, uh, ownership changes, and then of course free agency and the draft and the and the combine and all that yickety yickety yak stuff. I mean, it just keeps coming, and I'll be looking forward to the. Is it like is it February owners meetings? Yeah, I think happen? I think combine is next up. Is it Owners combine? meetings? I think are usually in early to mid March. No, maybe it is. It's. I'll have to check the NFL. Yeah, I, th- I think the I think the draft is in May, late April. I think I think the ownership the ownership meetings come before free agency opens up. Then free agency opens up, and then it's then it's the combine and all the all the other stuff. It's hard to get that that right. But man, oh man, it you know player safety's on the on the docket. Um, they got, they're talking about more kickoff rule changes. Um, Annual league meeting is late March. Okay, there you go. March 24th to the 27th, which is after the free agent market opens. Right. On the 13th. And it's also after the combine. Combine's last weekend weekend. Last February. couple of days in February. Right. First couple of days in March. Right. So, yeah, it'll all uh, 
it'll all turn over quite quickly, as we have uh, experienced we personally. That, yeah. I mean, the, the Super Bowl is February 11th. The Combine's February 27th. <laughs> it's like 16 days away from each other. The, Off we go. <laughs> it's like, man, they don't, they don't, nothing, man, they just shift gears, bro. Yeah. Uh, as we mentioned, it's an OBL Friday fan mailbag, so let's get back to the phones and to Carol in Tonawanda, who's been waiting patiently. What do you got for us, Carol? Yes, gentlemen, I'm really disappointed about the NFL award processing system, and I have a fair amount to say. First, I'd like to say is, Steve and the Bills, stop being modest. If you deserve to be recognized, accept it and be proud of it. I'm sick and tired of the Buffalo Bills not being, are being overlooked. We are a good team. We are good people. Unless we start standing up to this and voice our concerns, things will never change. We just can't sit back and take it anymore. Um, have you ever, um, I'm beginning to lose respect for the NFL MVP Award Selection Committee. Did you ever look for the MVP criteria? I did. You can't find it or it's very vague. They're not using the weighting system. They're not using the Madden criteria. It's basically like put your finger up to the wind or whatever media person is speaking, whoever's uh, name the most is the person that's going to be selected. If stats are demonstrating that you're the best, then you should win that award. And I mean Allen. Perhaps we should also include the postseason. It's easy to boast and brag when you're not playing the best teams. But in the postseason, you're playing the cream of the crop, and that's where you're separating the men from the boys. Look at how Lamar played, slamming his helmet, losing it totally, whereas Allen was composed, collected, and led his team down the field. Also, I cannot believe, as it has been shared, that DeMar was not selected for the most comeback individual, and McDermott, again, never winning um, Coach of the, the Year award, for multiple years, but yet Stefanski wins it again. Um, you know, I, it was interesting that Batista said that women are now voicing this more as a concern. It's not just women, it's educated women. We've worked with statistics, we've worked with processes. Show me the process and prove it. So why? Why is it always so difficult for Buffalo to be recognized? So I'm waiting to hear what you have to say. Perhaps with more engagement from the community, the NFL can improve and uh, make it a better process. Thank you. Thank Bye. you, Carol. That's Thanks, Carol. Uh, well thought out and very nicely articulated phone call. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it, it, you're right. It does seem like sometimes Buffalo is overlooked and slighted in situations like this. Um, it has happened, though, that you know we've had players be the MVP and and the most valuable offensive player of the year or, or offensive player of the year. Certainly, I. I think it's a little bit embarrassing that the DeMar Hamlin is not the comeback player of the year. No question about it. You're right. A lot of the atmosphere in sports journalism now is licking your finger, put it in the air, and seeing which way the wind is blowing. You're right. I don't think there's any question. I think you bring up a really good point about the MVP race. There is no set criteria that is that you can put your finger on and say this, 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 and this must happen for the guy to be an MVP. Um, which you makes are, it even more subjective than most award right, situations. Which are. makes it um, subjective. Open, it makes it arbitrary. A wide range of interpretation. And so you can say what you want about the committee or the voters in the MVP. They're up against it. It's a hard job. Um, we have a vested interest in our guy 
just like every other team has a vested interest in their guy. I get it. But without solid, more specific criteria, you're not going to get a better result than, than we've seen in the last dozen years. This year notwithstanding, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, it, it, every year you're going to have things like this. So um, there you have it. And, and I'll say this too. I've, and it may be the atmosphere we live in in the current day, and we all kind of know what we mean with social media and, and everything is either 100% yes or 1,000% no. There's no in-between in these days, right? Um, this is the first time Bills have had a guy who's always in the conversation. Um, it's been a while, and, and it's, a, it's a different world than the last time. So we got to kind of take, take that in stride as well. Break time for us here. When we come back, we'll dip into the OBL Friday fan mailbag, see what's on the tweet sheet when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live on an OBL Friday fan mailbag, and we go to the tweet sheet for some questions here now. Crack that open, and it's brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And Nick asks, with our CB room getting Trey White back, do you think they put him on an island again, or do you think they will try to split reps with him and Benford? Curious to know how you feel Trey fits into the defense now. I think uh, before you even talk about fit, you have to talk about health and how he makes his way through the rest of the offseason will bear watching. This is not any kind of run-of-the-mill injury. This is an Achilles. That's number one. Not everybody looks the same when they come back from an Achilles injury, especially at a high-impact position that puts a lot of torque and demand on the Achilles like cornerback does. Almost every play, they are driving off an Achilles, either on their left leg or their right leg, to drive on the ball. It's the plant and drive technique that you hear coaches talk about all the time. And that is step one. I, I think you're putting the cart before the horse here, Nick, to talk about where he fits in the cornerback room. You just got to hope he can get back on the field and play football come the start of the season. Because we have to remember, this injury happened October 1st. I, I don't think... I don't, I don't think it's realistic for yeah, the start of the he's year. He's not going to be ready for the start of the season. He's not going to be. I don't think. There's just no way. Uh, he will not be ready for the start of training camp. Uh, they'll to take play his, real football. To yeah. play real football. He, so they're going to have to go on. They're going to have to act like they're going on without him and see what happens then. Yeah, that's the bigger question. Who fills the Tredavious White void might be the bigger question because I, I think it's – I'm not the doctor. I don't have what his prognosis is, but knowing that Achilles injuries typically take a year, that puts us at October 1st when the injury happened, and who knows how soon after the surgery occurred. Right. So you're probably even further from the date of surgery. Um, so the question becomes, who fills the void? Does Kyrie Elam get a shot now um, with an extra hole there and Dane Jackson a free agent? You know, maybe he moves up in the pecking order here and can challenge for a starting role. You have Rasul Douglas, you have Christian Benford. Is Benford going to safety? Because maybe Micah Hyde's not back, or maybe Jordan Poyer, you know, even though he's under contract, maybe a decision is made there to get cap compliant. 
So there are a lot of moving parts on the back end right now. And Tredavious White's health is one of the biggest question marks in that whole conversation. Uh, Headley asks, who is in charge of the voting for MVP? What do they use to gauge the players? NFL award show was lame, and that's putting it lightly. Well, as we just heard from Carol from Tonawanda, who one of the top ten callers of the year so far, uh, <laughs> the criteria for how they pick MVP is vague at best. Yeah, And so you get a lot of interpretive nuance to these people and what they see and what they look for, their own personal bias, who they watched, who they cheer for, uh, and it's all media uh, guy, people. It's all people who are in the media. Uh, who vote on it. Uh, not everybody gets to vote. It's a, it's a limited number of people who get to vote. So um, because of that, it's a, subjective, it's a subjective award. And I think they'll always want to keep it that way because if they put out specific criteria, then it's like whoever gets past the criteria wins. Uh, you know, and whoever does it first wins or that kind of thing. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, there is, it's a nonspecific criteria to become MVP most valuable player is what most valuable player in the league or most valuable player to his team most valuable player on his side of the ball you know most valuable player most valuable quarterback you know you name it uh, there's a lot of ways you can look at that award and, and it seems to be confusing for a lot of people and the award turns out is confusing as well when it comes out mm-hmm. uh, next one comes from Jack, who says, what do you guys think about Florida wide receiver Ricky Pearsall? Could be Allen's new best friend. This is if the Bills consider going DT in round one, taking the Florida Swiss Army knife in round two. This man's hands are legit, better than Beasley's. Plus, he's bigger and faster and runs excellent routes, can even carry the rock. He does. Ha- he is a sure-handed receiver. I will give you that. I don't- are they better than Beasley's? Let's wait and see before we pronounce judgment on that. Um I have shown Steve some tape of Ricky Pearsall, including his one-handed ridiculous catch uh, that he snared over his head backhanded. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, that's Very just nice. one play. I think he has some route savvy to his game, which is encouraging. I, I think in a very deep class of receivers, he is a day-two pick. I, In my perfect world, the Bills go receiver, defensive tackle, receiver. Is he there at the bottom of round three? I don't know that he is. Um, but I wouldn't have a problem having him on this roster. I think he could be a capable role player early in his career and maybe develop into something more later on. You're right, uh, uh, Jack. They're going to have a shot at Ricky Pearsall, but they may take him, have to take him a round and a half ahead of where he should really go. Um, they're not going to take him. He's not a first-round draft pick. Uh, second round, bottom of second round, mm, even that may be a reach. Because there'll be other guys on the ro- on the board that will be, you know, better pros. You would think, uh, but you got it right. If the Bills go a different position other than wide receiver, Pearsall will be one of the names left on the board when they get to their to their uh, second pick uh, of the draft. Which, uh, you know, it's that's uh, yeah. I, I I just think. Let me see the full. Here we go. Um, yeah, I just think when the Bills pick at 28, he'll be there. But I think if they go DT, they're going to have to wait until pick number 60 to make their next pick. Pearsall will probably be there. But so will a couple other guys that may be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the real 
trick. A guy like Ricky Pearsall may fall between Bill's picks. You know what I mean? Two, he's not good enough to, to pick at 60, and he's too good for 99. Somebody's going to grab him. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's kind of what you look at with the draft. I, I, but you're right. You're, he, they're going to have a shot at him. Yeah. Tom asks, with Ed Oliver, the only current defensive lineman under contract, defensive tackle under contract, and with our salary cap situation, what will it take for Bean and McDermott to field a competitive D-line this season? The first thing I would tell you to do is listen to our podcast this week, Bills by the Numbers, because we dive into that very subject in depth. Uh, so if you want a real dissertation on it, you can listen to that episode, which is out right now, on whatever podcast platform you use. Just type in Bills by the Numbers. I will say that they're going to have to find cheap labor, which means draft, or some older veteran free agents that you can sign to a one-year deal. Because the bottom line is everybody but Ed Oliver, who plays defensive tackle on this roster, is a free agent. Linval Joseph, Tim Settle, um, Jordan Phillips, and who is the fourth one? Daquan Jones. I think in a perfect world, they'd like to have Daquan back. He is 32 years of age. Could that bring his price down a little bit? Maybe. Coming off an injured season, maybe. I don't think there's any guarantee for that. I think you can get Jordan Phillips back for affordable money, and then I think the rest you got to get in the draft and maybe even a couple of undrafteds. Um, you, you got to find affordable labor right now with their cap situation. Yeah, that's what it's going to take. You're going to see them signing guys, you know, a, a ton of free agents, guys who are under one-year deals, rookie minimums, veteran minimums, uh, at least in, during the free agency process. And we'll, we'll start getting an idea of – how much of that's going to happen when free agency opens, when they start clearing cap space, and we'll hear about that in the coming weeks. Rick asks, I was curious to know what the two of you think about Georgia wide receiver Lad McConkie. I watched him play a few times this past season, and he reminds me a lot of Wes Welker, Cole Beasley. He isn't the downfield burner the Bills need, but I could see him becoming Josh's favorite target. I, I think Lad McConkie is going to be a successful NFL receiver. Um I don't know that he is what the Bills need at the receiver position. What the Bills need at receiver is a t- they need size, and he's 5'11". They need somebody who can win outside because of that size, can separate, and can stretch the field. McConkie doesn't – those are not the best tools to, to be very in McConkie's skill set. To be very honest with you, I'd rather have Khalil Shakir. Because you already got him. He's under contract. You know what he, he's yeah. proven. He's too much like Shakir. Why, why, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I need somebody different. Different. Yeah. And that's kind of the bottom line there. But McConkie, I think, will be a successful pro. Route savvy. He knows where the holes and zones are. Super, super kid off the field. He is going to ace character tests by a mile. Uh, just an unbelievable human being. Really, really, really good kid. Uh, but can play some football as well. I think he'll have a successful career, probably late day two um, at best, and then you know maybe even first off the board day three. Uh, Got to take a break here. When we come back, we will dive into a mock draft from our good friend Cynthia Freeland, who has the right position that I wanted to see at pick 28 for the Bills. We'll tell you who she selected based on her analytic models next here on One Bills Live. All right, one more segment here before we head into Super Bowl weekend. And our good friend Cynthia Freeland, who does the NFL 
or I should say the Bills preseason telecast with Steve um, every summer, put together her first mock draft, which she bases picks on her statistical models, which spit out players for certain teams for each of the first 32 picks in round one. And happy to report, Steve, she has a receiver going to the Bills at pick 28. Maybe she listens to the show. Who knows? Perhaps. Um, Or her models do. Her computers do. Here's what uh, she wrote about the pick of Oregon speedster Troy Franklin. Franklin has experience out wide and in the slot and is a tall receiver, 6'3", who runs fast in pads. He'll add an explosive element and yards after catchability to the Bills' offense. For the record, she had five receivers going before Franklin to the Bills at 28. They were as follows. Marvin Marvin Harrison Jr. to the Cardinals at pick four. Rome Adunze to the Giants at six. Malik Neighbors to the Bears at nine. My guy Brian Thomas to the Saints at 14. And then Keon Coleman to the Dolphins at 21. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Keon Coleman. Hello! Yeah, it's it's not going to get easier to, to win. Believe now me. he is slightly built, as you can, as our MSG viewers well, are seeing. He's, he's one eighty-seven. He's tall and skinny, um, but like I said, that gives that gives you the ability to stop hard, and also makes you you know you're faster <laughs> without yeah. that weight. He's um, a field stretcher for sure. We'll see. Yeah, I, we're going to get a guy. One of these guys we're we're talking about is going to be a, a Bill. I believe. That's the spot they're going to draft. Yeah. Had 14 touchdowns last season, his junior year. I think the only guy that had more was Brian Thomas, who led the right. FBS with 17 touchdowns Keep it last Troy season. Franklin, 6'3". We'll see. Oregon. Yeah. That's it for us. Enjoy the Super Bowl. We'll see you on Monday.